at a local establishment, local watering hole that I like to uh, frequent. Uh, you could call me a regular there. I oftentimes get in conversations with people and just start talking about this and that. And, you know, oftentimes the question comes up, so what is it that you do? And so I have to tell them, I'm a pastor. And then things generally abruptly get very awkward and they end. Oftentimes the conversation ends. You know, people will oftentimes just go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> for all those things I've been saying, or I guess for your life or something, and I'll say, it's okay. I'm here because, you know, I'm same reason you're here, and we sometimes keep talking, sometimes it remains awkward. But one time, uh, recently actually, I was having a conversation with the guy that I'd kind of gotten to know a little bit in this place, and um, the guy asked me the question, that, honestly, pastors sometimes dread the question coming. So what is it you do? <sighs> so I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm bracing for the awkwardness. And he kind of stopped short and looked at me, and then he pulled out his necklace and showed me the cross that was on his chain, and he sort of gripped it firmly and said, gotcha, man. Now, I have no idea if this guy is a follower of Jesus or not, uh, but what I did find interesting was that when I told him I was a Christian minister, his immediate and initial response was to think of the symbol of the cross that he was wearing around his neck. Maybe you've had a similar experience to that. Um, the reason I think that's interesting is because it shows, I think pretty vividly, that most people think and know whether or not they're followers of Jesus, they know that the cross as a symbol is, is the central symbol of the Christian faith. They just sort of intuitively know, and because our culture is so inundated with Christian symbolism, that um, the cross means Christian, right? The cross means Jesus. And people all over the world have crosses in their homes. They wear crosses on jewelry around their neck or in their ears or on their fingers. People all over the world in various ways bow down before crosses and pray. People all over the world, no matter pretty much what country you're in, can see a cross and tell you on the spot that is a symbol for Christianity. And the reason for that is that the cross really is the fundamental event of the Christian story. If Christianity means anything, if Christianity has anything to do with your life, then the cross has an important part to play in that story. You know, we, we often say here at Christ Church, as we begin to develop as a community of faith, that Christians can disagree on all sorts of little things, on all sorts of minuscule details that are important, but are things that Christians disagree on, and we can accept that and be open about that, and you don't have to understand all these things to be a Christian or to understand what Christianity is about if you're thinking about Christianity, but the cross is something that every Christian knows is central. And so if you're here tonight and you, you are a Christian, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you're here tonight and you're not sure what you think about Christianity, then I'm glad you're here because tonight we're focusing on the cross. You know, to be clear on Christianity, you cannot understand a lot of things that Christians oftentimes talk about in debate, but you do have to understand what the cross really symbolizes, what the, the death of Jesus of Nazareth in human history 2,000 years ago is about. To grasp 
the essence of the Christian message. You have to grasp the essence of the cross. Now, this psalm, Psalm 22, has been called by many the song or the psalm of the cross because it is so explicitly and clearly about the cross of Jesus. And that's really interesting because it was written a thousand years before. A thousand years before Jesus died outside of the walls of Jerusalem on the cross. It was written by David. That's written at the very top of the psalm there. It says that this is a psalm of David. But even a cursory reading of this psalm will show you that the psalm really isn't primarily about David. It's primarily about Jesus. You know, it's very interesting because we know more about David one of the guys in the Old Testament, than just about any other person in the Bible. We know a lot about his life, just from the pages of Scripture that are written to us. And a lot of these things never happened to David. He never had his hands and feet pierced. He never had lots cast over his clothing. He wasn't executed in a public spectacle. David died an old man as the king in Jerusalem after a 40-year reign. This prophecy, although it's written by David, and in some ways is autobiographical is not mainly about him. The apostle Peter in the New Testament, when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, actually uses Psalm 22. He quotes from it and he says, David, acting like a prophet, told you about what was going to happen to Jesus. This psalm is really about Jesus. Now we said before that every psalm is about Jesus, and they are, but this one is just overtly, explicitly, and clearly so. And so as we think about it tonight, just for a few minutes together, I want to show you three things as we meditate on this song of the cross. Three things about the death and suffering of Jesus. Three things about the cross. Three things, again, that I think you really have to to grasp. You might not agree with them, but you do have to understand them to be able to say, I understand what Christianity is, is all about. So the three things are this. First, Jesus suffered abandonment, abandonment on the cross. Second, Jesus suffered pain on the cross. And third, Jesus suffered for the world on the cross. Okay? Jesus suffered abandonment, pain, and for the world on the cross. All right? So first, in verses 1 through 11 of the psalm, we see that Jesus on the cross suffered abandonment. You know, you can summarize what's happening to Jesus when he's on the cross by saying something like this. Jesus suffered and eventually he died <clears throat> on the cross. And saying that really isn't anything profound or extraordinary. Thousands of common criminals were crimin were executed in ancient Rome by crucifixion. Thousands of years ago, that was a common way for people who had committed crimes to die. And every single one of them, I would be willing to bet, although I haven't interviewed any of them personally, I bet they would all say they suffered. I bet that they would all say it was painful. It was not the way you want to go out. And so saying that Jesus suffered unto death and was abandoned and had pain on the cross isn't by itself anything extraordinary. But Christianity says that something more is going on in Jesus' death and suffering on the cross. The first thing it says is that he suffered abandonment. He suffered abandonment. First, he suffered abandonment from men on the cross. Jesus had a band of disciples that he was friends with. They followed him around for three years, yet on the cross... 
when he lay, when he lay there dying and suffering, none of them were there. On the cross, Jesus was abandoned, and we see that here in the psalm as the psalmist goes back and forth talking about his suffering, and then like in verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 8, he's talking about his suffering, and then there's verses 3 through 5 and 9 through 11, he's reminding himself of the truth of God. He's sort of going back and forth in his head as as this is taking place, as this suffering is going on. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, actually thought that Jesus quoted not just the first verse of Psalm 22 on the cross, but the entire psalm. Now, that can't be proven, but I think you can make a very good case for it. But anyway, back here, Jesus is saying that uh, through the words of this psalm, notice there in verse 6, he's a worm and not a man. He's been scorned by who? By mankind. He's been despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And then there's this quote from the people. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That may remind you of when Jesus is on the cross. In Matthew's gospel, he says that the people walked by, mocked him, and they spit on him. And they said, if he really is the Son of God, maybe now God can send his angels and rescue him. You see, on the cross, Jesus is suffering the abandonment of men. His friends have left him. His enemies are piling it on as he lay there, as he stands there on the cross, suffering anguish and agony. But more than that, On the cross, Jesus suffers abandonment not just from men, but Jesus suffers abandonment on the cross from God. And really, that's what he's getting at there in the first verse, which he quotes again on the cross. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Think about this, folks. On the cross where Jesus died 2,000 years ago, for the first time in the history of eternity, Jesus, the Son of God, cried out for his Father, and his Father ignored him. For the first time in the history of the Godhead, of the triune, eternal God who has ever existed, Jesus asked God to reveal himself to him, and God did not respond. For the first time ever on the cross, the Son of God, the Son of God is left alone, abandoned, and forsaken by his heavenly Father. On the cross, Jesus is abandoned by men, and on the cross, Jesus, as he's dying, is even abandoned by his own Father, God. That's why verse 2 is so powerful. If you can imagine it on the words of Jesus' lips as he is dying on the cross, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. He's been scorned by mankind, and profoundly, he's been scorned by his own Father. Now, if you're a parent which I know a lot of you are, I want you to think about that for a moment from the perspective of your own relationship with your children. Imagine such a scenario where you are hearing your children um, scream and cry out for help. Dad, Mom, help! And you can visibly watch them experience pain and anguish and grief and agony, and you're able to help them, but you don't. 
Can you imagine doing that? What kind of parents does that to his children? What kind of parent listens to the screams of agony of his only son and turns his face away? That's what God did. Why? Why did God abandon Jesus? Why did God forsake him? Why did God, as Jesus was dying, not answer his only son whom he had loved from before this world was made? Well, it wasn't because he didn't love Jesus. God is no absentee father. You see, the reason that God forsook, forsook, is that right? The reason he forsook Jesus, the reason he abandoned Jesus, the reason he didn't answer Jesus isn't because God didn't love Jesus. The reason that he abandoned Jesus is because he does love you. You see, that's, that's what sin, which is primarily our rebellion against God, our king and our maker, that's what sin does to us. It, it ruptures our fellowship and our relationship with God the Father. It, it causes us to stand in a forsaken light before a holy God, before a righteous God, before a God that is pure, that cannot stand before sin. Our sin ruptures the relationship that we have with God so that we cannot any longer be in God's presence, so that we can't come before him unless we want to experience his wrath and his anger because he is holy and he is pure. But instead of pouring out anger and wrath and holy judgment because of sin on us who are sinners, God at the cross pours it out on Jesus. You see, the reason, listen, the reason God abandoned Jesus on the cross is because God abandoning Jesus on the cross is the only way that God could secure that he will never abandon you. The reason that God turned his back on Jesus as he lay dying on the cross was because God desperately wanted to never have to turn his back on you because of your sin. The reason that Jesus suffered unto death the abandonment of his father is because that is what he was willing to do so that we will never have to be abandoned by him because we've sinned. God put his own son to death so that he wouldn't have to put you to death. God caused Jesus to suffer beyond what we can imagine so that he will never, because of your sin, make you have to suffer in that way. God, God told Jesus, you're going to die for these people that hate me. And Jesus was willing to do it. That's what the cross means. It's where the love of God for his creation is shown. God loves you so deeply that he was willing not just to abandon some normal dude, but to abandon Jesus, his righteous and beloved son. God abandoned Jesus on the cross. Jesus suffered abandonment there. Second, the cross means that not only did Jesus suffer abandonment, but according to the psalm, Jesus also on the cross suffered and experienced pain. Pain. Now that, again, (laughs) might strike you as self-explanatory, But it becomes explicit when we move forward in the psalm, especially beginning there in verse 12, we begin to see a little bit of a transition. The psalmist starts using these words like the bulls of Bashan encompass me and surround me and their mouths are open like a ravening and roaring lion. And then down in verse 16, dogs encompass me, evildoers encircle me, they've pierced my hands and my feet, I can count my bones. 
Okay, so Jesus is undergoing here, I think we can say clearly, physical pain. Physical pain is being inflicted on him at the cross. Verse 14, he says his bones are all out of joint. He's undergoing actual physical, strenuous, rigorous pain and suffering. He's suffering pain on the cross that's physical, but he's also, the psalm very clearly tells us, suffering pain on the cross that's, that's emotional and spiritual. Look at what he says there again in 14. I am poured out like water. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Then in verse 18, which is also quoted and fulfilled in the Gospels, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing as I was dying on the cross, they cast lots. He cries out, deliver my soul from the sword. The sword there is a summary word for the pain, the anguish, both physically and emotionally, that Jesus on the cross was experiencing. Deliver my precious life, he says, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion. Rescue me. I am hurting. He feels physical pain. He feels emotional pain because his father and all of his friends have turned their backs on him. Jesus suffers on the cross abandonment, and Jesus suffers on the cross pain. Now, again, I think it's fair to ask, why? You know, let, let's grant, let's grant the premise that God puts Jesus to death, so to speak, so that sins that we committed could be paid for, that Jesus sacrifices himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Then you might want to ask, you know, why couldn't it have just, why couldn't Jesus have just died in his sleep? Now, you ever thought about that? Why couldn't it have been by lethal injection? Now, why did it have to be so agonizing? Why did Jesus have to die in such a grotesque and horrific and violent and painful way? Well, here's why. Jesus' death had to be agonizing and painful because the consequences of sin are agonizing and painful. See, Jesus is not just on the cross bearing the guilt of our sin on his shoulders, although he is certainly doing that. Jesus on the cross is, is carrying the weight of the brokenness and the heartache of this fallen creation on his shoulders. You see, sin causes pain. The war and the violence and the brutality of the powerful and the weak in this world, Jesus had to experience on the cross. The, the evil and the retribution and the backstabbing and the bitterness and the vile, wicked lies of those who sought to put him to death. The, the horrors of those who manipulate the weak. The evils of those who prey on the poor and the needy. Jesus had to experience on the cross. Jesus on the cross is not just dying so that your sin can be forgiven. Jesus on the cross is, is dying so that every single remnant of sin's consequences can one day be done away with forever. And so Jesus on the cross is facing the flood of all of the horribly wicked and evil consequences of our running away from God time and time and time again. Jesus faces the most violent, ruthless, terrible, savage pain that humans can throw at one another. 
on the cross. That's what the cross tells you. It tells you that Jesus, the Son of God, suffers unto death. Abandonment from men and from his Father. Jesus on the cross suffers pain that we can't begin to bear, both physical and emotional. The psalm paints that portrait for us quite vividly. And lastly, we see that Jesus on the cross, and this is what you must get if you're going to get anything, Jesus on the cross suffers for the world. Jesus suffers for the world on the cross. Look at verse 22. It's sort of the big transition of the psalm. He's been calling out for God, right, time and time again. Save me. Deliver my soul. You've rescued me. Please rescue me again. You rescued our fathers. Please rescue me. And then verse 22, you see a change. What does he begin to say there? I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Why? 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. You see, what's happening at the cross is Jesus is suffering, not for his own sin because he never committed any. Jesus is suffering for the full weight of the sins of this world. He's suffering so that one day the nations will come back to God through him. It's exactly what's being said there in 29, 28, 30. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told. What happens at the cross shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. You see, on the cross, Jesus is opening wide the the door for people to return to God. On the cross, Jesus is completely erasing and removing the guilt, the shame, the consequences, the tragic effects of human fallenness and brokenness. People of every color, people of every tribe, people of every nation are freely freely offered pardon at the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus comes and suffers for the sake of the world so that all who will see him and believe in him, so that all who will trust that his death is sufficient to pay for sins can come into God's presence finally and fully. Jesus suffers for the world on the cross in that he suffers for the nations. Another thing you need to see here, Jesus suffers for the world on the cross in that that he on the cross becomes a God who identifies with our own suffering. You ever thought about that? I would put forward to you that unique among world religions to Christianity is the idea that the God of Christianity is a God who solves the problem of evil by experiencing it himself. The God of Christianity is a God who deals with human suffering, which is caused by human sin, by undergoing suffering himself. So, when you in your life experience suffering, when you experience pain, when you experience loneliness, when you experience heartbrokenness, when you experience rejection, when you experience betrayal, when you experience all of the effects and consequences of this broken and ruined world, you can know without a doubt that because of the cross, God has experienced them right alongside with you. And God has come through them in resurrection life. What is it right now? 
What is it right now that you're afraid of? What is it right now that is causing you torment? What relationship in your life is giving you grief? What person do you long would come back into the fold of your family? What is going on in your work life that is causing you to not be able to go to sleep peacefully at night and to wake up stressed out in the morning? What physical pains are you experiencing that make you think, man, I'm just not the person I used to be? Every iota, every single portion of the pain and the sorrow and the tragedy and the heartache that you are presently going through and that you will ever go through, God has gone through. And that means that he not only understands, but sympathizes with you in your suffering. That's what the real God is like. He's not a God who's far off, who just sort of sets the wheels of this world in motion and then sits back and watches as he's popping popcorn into his mouth. No, God is intimately involved in the fallenness and suffering of your life, so much so that he can confirm to you at the cross that he himself was willing to experience it. And guess what? He experienced suffering unto death. He experienced betrayal. He experienced heartache. But he is alive. He came through it. And because that's true, you can have complete assurance that through faith in him, you too, no matter what you're experiencing, will come through it alive. Jesus suffers for the world on the cross so that the nations can come to him. Jesus suffers on the cross to assure you that he identifies with every single second of brokenness that you experience in life. Last thing, Jesus suffers for the world on the cross to remind you that at the cross it is finished. The last phrase of the psalm. You could make a strong case linguistically, not to get into the details of the text here too much, that this is actually being quoted by the Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished. You could make a case that he's quoting there, verse 31, when it says, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Listen, the last and maybe most important thing that the cross of Jesus means for those who will believe that it's true and real is that there is nothing left for you to do to assuage God's anger against you. There is nothing that you need to do to make sure that you are in God's favor. There is nothing that you need to do to assure yourselves that you can be a part of his family, that you can go to heaven, that you can experience joy and hope and peace in life. Nothing you need to do. Jesus has done all of it. It is finished completely, 100%. The deal has been sealed. It's over. All you must do is receive. May we be a people who quit trying to earn God's favor by our pretended righteousness when Jesus, through his death, has already earned it. May we be a people who quit trying to pretend to be someone that we can never be to impress others when Jesus already has secured the fact that God will ever love you through him by faith. May we be a people who believe that it is finished and therefore are freed 
freed from the enslaving routines and patterns that we so often find ourselves in, seeking to justify ourselves in our own eyes, in others' eyes, and in God's eyes. On the cross, God is putting a period on your story. On the cross, God is, he's putting really an exclamation point on the story of your rescue. When Jesus breathed his last, God's hatred of sin was fully satisfied. When Jesus' heart stopped beating at that very moment, you forever had certainty that if you trust that that death was for you, God will always be for you. If the cross means anything, it means that it is finished. All that is needed to bring you back to God has been accomplished by him. You know, that's what we call grace. It's grace because you didn't do anything to deserve or earn that. It's grace because Jesus freely did it for you. Not some of it, leaving the rest up to you. All of it. The cross is the center. It's the heartbeat. It's the lifeblood of the Christian message. Because it tells you that you are so sinful that that kind of thing had to happen for your sin to be paid for. But it also tells you that you were so beloved by God that he was willing to send his only son to pay for your sin and indeed has done it at the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. We confess that we don't deserve your mercy. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. It would be something we have earned. And yet at the cross, we see what our sin causes. It causes rupture and heartache. It causes violence and death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is that you have given Jesus for our eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the punishment we need and deserve on the cross. Thank you that you put yourself in our place as a substitute, atoning for our sin, which we could never pay for. Thank you that you rescued us through your own abandonment and suffering. Thank you, Father, that you did not finally and fully abandon Jesus. No, you abandoned him for a time so that sin could be paid for, but then By your power, you raised him from the dead. And Father, we ask tonight that we may be a people who trust and believe that this is true. May we be a people who see the cross clearly, understand its meaning, and run to it in faith. Help us, O God. Help us to know that this is indeed true, that this indeed changes everything, that it makes all the difference in our lives, that it gives us finally hope and fullness and freedom. And we pray these things, asking you to work faith in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.